Hello, I'm Pastor Sean, and I'm here with Apostle Freddie. And today we're going to be talking to you about Purim. Now, Purim is the story of Esther, and it's the most celebrated day among the Jews. And I'm going to let him take it from here. All right. Well, uh, Purim is a special day uh, for the Jews. They love to celebrate this day. It's not the most holiest of days, as we've mentioned, but it is one of the most joyous celebrations. And it does follow the book of Esther. So, uh, but before we get into that, uh, according with our uh, teachings, today's reading, uh, the Parashat per reading, would take us from the book of Exodus, chapter 17. And, uh, and it picks up in verse 8. And so I'm going to kind of read those to get us started today. Uh, so Exodus uh, 17, beginning in verse 8, it said, Now Amalek came and fought against Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, Choose us some men and go out, fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses and Aaron and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hands, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and one on the other side, and his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this for a memorial in the book of recount, and recount it at the hearing of Joshua, and I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar called the name, The Lord is my banner. For he said, Because the Lord has sworn, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generations to generations. Now, one commentary note uh, I read said that this story is a harbinger. Uh, to uh, uh, that's played out in the book of Esther. So we're going to kind of jump in uh, to uh, the book of Ex Esther a little bit, but just to give you uh, just a little bit, Purim, uh, like we said, it is a holiday from the Jewish uh, uh, Bible, Scrolls of Esther, and it tells the story of Esther is what it does. Uh, she was a wife of a Persian king who hid the fact that she was Jewish. Uh, as the story goes, Haman, an advisor uh, to the king, wanted to exterminate all the Jews uh, in the Persian Empire. And so that's, that's where we come from. So Purim, Purim is celebrated, uh, is a celebration of the story of Esther, the Persian, the queen Esther of Persia. And it's, uh, we'll look into the book here. And this, uh, you know, it's according to what most say, the earliest observance of Purim uh, dates back to the 5th century. And that's when you can find 90%. But you do find a little bit, Sean, that goes back even earlier than that. Mm -hmm. So uh, some try to say that, well, you know, the book of Esther is a story. Do you know that the book of Esther is one of the least... 
what most uh, scholars call a biblical book. It's a story because it really doesn't talk about God. It doesn't talk about the laws. It's just a story of, of, of Esther. Have you thought much of that? It's one of uh, two books in our Bible that does not mention the name of God. Mm-hmm. It's one of those. And it's uh, the other one, A Song of Solomon. Yeah. And it's uh, because of that reason, because it's a historical account, that's why it's, it was like that. So. Yeah. But uh, it's a it's a gr- big big day in in Jewish history. Mm-hmm. Uh, they still celebrate it. Uh, I kind of relate it to some of the things I've read. They celebrate it like we do our Christmas, mm-hmm. because uh, there's a, a few things that is that they do uh, in in uh, this time is they they uh, they read the story of Esther is one of the first things they do. Uh, they give uh, gifts, give baskets, mostly food and things of that nature. Uh, they have a big uh, festival meal. It's a big meal like you're celebrating, getting ready for the big Christmas dinner or Thanksgiving dinner. Mm-hmm. I guess it would be more like the Thanksgiving in a sense, but they decorate and up like Christmas. So, uh, <clears throat> And then they give to the poor on this day. But let's uh, let's talk a little bit about the story of Esther, and uh, I'm going to pick it up. Uh, actually, I'm going to pick it up in Esther chapter two, verse nineteen. And uh, this is uh, <clears throat> Mordecai. Now, Mordecai kind of adopted Esther. Mm-hmm. Some say it's Mordecai was her uncle, or but he really wasn't. But they were. There was some type of relation. Uh, but he kind of adopted her, took her in, raised her, her up. So that's just Mordecai. He's the Jew. And so he's one of our characters here in our story today, of course, Esther, and then Haman, and then the Persian king. Uh, so uh, verse 19, chapter 2, it says, When the virgins were gathered together the second time, Mordecai sat within the king's gate. It says that now Esther had not revealed her family and her, to, and her people, just as Mordecai had charged her, because in the earlier chapters, Mordecai told her, said, do not reveal that you're a Jew, keep it a secret. And uh, so Esther obeyed com- the command of Mordecai and, and as she was brought up by him. In those days, while Mordecai sat within the king's gate, two of the king's eunuchs, uh, they were doorkeepers. They they were out, and uh, you know they, they. It says they became furious and they sought to lay hands on the king. They they just didn't didn't agree with what the king was doing and uh, rebellious. So they they was planning to do something. So the matter became known uh, to Mordecai. He overheard it, and he told Queen Esther, and Esther informed the king of, in Mordecai's name. It's important that we understand that she gave credit to credit was due. She gave it to uh, to Mordecai. And when uh, an inquiry was made into the matter, it was confirmed that both were and both were hanged on gallows. And it was written in the book of Chronicles uh, in the presence of the king. So then we, we kind of move on to Haman. Chapter 3 picks up. Haman is elevated to the highest. Uh, level that he could possibly anyone could be elevated without taking the king's throne itself. Mm-hmm. So 
uh, Haman uh, gets elevated, and uh, I don't know all of the the history, the bad blood between Mordecai and Haman, but when Haman became uh, honored and people would bow to him, Mordecai wouldn't bow to him. Exactly. And so that kind of started the problem there a little bit. And so uh, in chapter 3, verse 2, and all the king's servants who were within the king's gate bowed and paid homage to Haman. And so the king... Uh, as the king had commanded concerning him. But Mordecai would not bow, would not bow to him at all. And uh, so this just made Haman furious. And uh, the story goes on that uh, in through here, and I don't want to take time to read it all, but uh, uh, he began to uh, tax the Jews heavily, and uh, but he his goal, was to have all Jews uh, eliminated, to kill all the Jews in the land. And so that's that's kind of where we are in, in chapter 3. It talks about that. And uh, so uh, in chapter 4, uh, Mordecai, you know, he uh, when he hears of this uh, law, because this was a law that Haman had had the king's signature on mm -hmm. and the king's permission on uh, Pastor Sean. And so this was serious business. And right. So chapter 4, Mordecai, he learned what had happened and he tore his clothes and he put on sackcloth and ashes and he went out in the midst of the city and he cried out with a loud, bitter cry, it says. And he went as far as the front of the king's gate. Uh, for... One for no one might might enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. So Mordecai was pushing the limit, wouldn't you say? Mm -hmm. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it says that he was there wailing, you know, and it, the, everyone had to notice mm -hmm. at that point. Mm -hmm. So he's pushing the limit. Everybody's asking, what's, the, what's with this guy? Yeah. So, so he went right up as, I mean, he pushed the limit right up as far as he, he could. So... Uh, you know, Esther, she first tried to get him to back off mm -hmm. as you read the story. and uh, But uh, Mordecai was, was, I mean, he was passionate. He was dedicated. And uh, so he kept, he wanted Esther to talk to the king. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, you know, they, they, get, they gathered together, the Jews, uh, they, they fasted. Uh, you know, they did all kinds of things here. And I want to get to uh, Morde Mordecai was trying to get Esther to say something, but she didn't want to. Mm -hmm. and then there's this one verse that everybody likes to quote in uh, chapter 4, verse 14. It says, for Mordecai told her, for if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. You know, Mordecai kind of reminds me of, uh, we talked to Abraham a few weeks ago, um, sacrificing Isaac, but he's, he knew the Lord would provide mm -hmm. somehow. And Mordecai knew that God would, would not allow, because he knew they were God's chosen people. And he knew that God wouldn't, but he said it will arise uh, from some other place. 
but you and your father's house will perish. So, you know, let her know. If you don't do this, you're going to perish, but I'm going to be all right. Yeah. We're going to be delivered somehow, some way. <laughs> and then this is the part everyone likes to quote, yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Mm -hmm. John, we're living in the year 2023. Uh, many people are talking about uh, the book of Esther like never before. Mm -hmm. uh, they believe that we're in for such a time as this. And, and I do believe that. I believe that we're seeing things happen. Uh, I believe the, the end days are right upon us. We're approaching um, ever so much quicker than I'd ever thought or imagined. But I do believe at this time. But what we forget, if we don't rise up and speak out, somebody else will. But, oh, absolutely. You know, and I, it goes back to, you know, I've been pastoring or in the ministry now for 28 years, pastored the church for 25, turned it over to Pastor Jeremy here three years ago. But I guess we're getting close to four years now. I mean, time's flying so much. But uh, like most ministers, about three, three and a half years into the ministry, I was, uh, I hit a low. You know, the honeymoon's over, you hit a low. And uh, I'd hit, hit a low. And, you know, I just couldn't figure out, you know, and, and you start hearing these stories and reading these stories, all three and a half years, preachers give up. And preachers quit after about three, three years, three and a half years. And it's a sad story, but it is true. Many pastors uh, just hang it up. Uh, the, it, the, the burden is too heavy sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I was at one of these moments. And uh, I ran into a prophet that I wasn't planning on being there. It was just I ended up in a room where a prophets were speaking. And prophet uh, said, I got a word for you. And... Uh, he said, God's called you to, to do something, and uh, it's hard. I thought, well, you, you know, you're not giving me nothing new here. I know that. And then he said this. He said, you're not the first person the Lord has called for this task. He said, you're not the second person the Lord has called for this. And if you don't do it, he'll call another. And, you know, I made up my mind. No one's going to take my place. Uh, and, you know, I, I just I pressed through. And I began to seek God. And the, the things that were heavy upon me, the burdens just kind of melted away. And, uh, you know, here we are uh, 28 years or, you know, 25 years later from that day. But I'm glad I never gave up. And uh, we go through struggles. Esther is in a situation. Mm -hmm. She's either got to quit tuck tail and run, or she's got to step up to the plate. And so, you know, I believe those words right there. Who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. I believe we've all come for the kingdom for such a time as this. I, I don't believe what, what uh, you and I are doing right now is by chance or coincidence or just, you know, taking it up on uh, just happening because I know this is your passion. Uh, doing this teaching, uh, and why you let me do Purim, I don't know, but I, I love Purim. Uh, put me in the hot spot, but uh, you know, it's it's there's so much that can pull us and try to take us down. I've had my struggles. I've had it to where I've wanted to quit and walk away so many times, 
And there's things that I thought that I had to have in my life before I'd step out and do ministry stuff. And this past year, I just kind of got to reach a point where I said, you know, it's, it's too late in the game. All that stuff that says, well, I got to have this or I should have this or I should do that, it's gone. Mm-hmm. There's, there's no time for that anymore. So I'm just like, no matter what, I'm going to do what he told me to do. Yeah. So if he tells me to do this or that, I'm going to do it, no matter if it looks impossible or not. You know, we hear sayings and they become cliches. Uh, you hear this one all the time, God does not call the equip. He equips the call. And and that is so true because uh, if uh, he wants us to operate in faith and uh, we have to step out in faith. So Esther makes a faith statement here. Mm-hmm. She, uh, in verse 16, go gather all the Jews who are present in Sushan and fast for me, neither eat nor drink for three days, three days, nights or day. My maids and I will fast likewise. And I will go to the king and present uh, the against the law. I'm, I'm going to break the law here. I will go to the king against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Uh, you know, that's that's where we have to be. We have to be. We're living in a day that we have to take a stand. And if we go to jail, we go to jail. Mm-hmm. If something happens, it, you know, it happens. But uh, David served his generation well, it says. And I want it said of me that I served my generation well. So and, go ahead. And her in this situation, just to give a little backstory, you know, Queen Vashti already dishonored the king. Right. And they got rid of him, and then he got Esther. She's looking at this like, if I do this and I walk up to him unannounced, and I, I may be executed mm. on the spot. They may not even wait. There may not be no trial because they had a trial for Vashti. She already dishonored him. She's gone. She's removed. Now she's in this situation where she knows she has to do this. But the mounting pressure, it's nothing to scoff at. You know, they talk about how beautiful Esther was. She was, you know, very, very beautiful. Uh, Chapter 5 says, Now it happened on the third day, it's after the fast, that Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace across from the king's house, while the king sat on his royal throne in the royal house facing the entrance of the house. And so it was when queen, when the king saw the queen, Esther, standing in the court, that she found favor in his sight. Now, I think she, she really put it on. I think <laughs> she put her best on. I think she looked her best, had her hair fixed. She was, uh, uh, she was something to look at. And so she caught the king's attention. Uh, and so the king uh, uh, held out to Esther the golden scepter. And it was, uh, it was in his hand. And Esther went near and touched the, the top of the scepter. And the king said to her, What do you wish, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given to you up to half of the kingdom. I mean, she was looking good to, to <laughs> get half the, the, the kingdom here. So <clears throat> Esther started her, her plan, and she invited the king to a banquet. And she invited Haman to the banquet. And so I'm really, you know, Haman, we jump over to chapter, or verse 9 here in chapter 5. Uh, it says that Haman went out that day joyful. I mean, Haman was having a good day. 
And he said he, he went out that day joyful with a glad heart. And when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, that he did not stand or tremble before him, he was filled with indignation against Mordecai. Here it is. Man, I've got a personal invite, just good, good news. And then I first person I see, Mordecai, my enemy. And so it just enraged him. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, nevertheless, Haman uh, restrained himself, and he went home, and he sent and called all of his friends and his wife, and he told them all of the good things that was going to happen. So, uh, and then he, he tells them that, yet all of this avails me, in verse 13. He said, all this avails me, so long as I see Mordecai, the Jews, sitting in the king's gate. You know, I cannot be happy. I cannot enjoy as long as this one is there. And Haman wanted to destroy. You know, it's sad to say, but I've ran across some folks in the church over the years. Uh, they can be having the greatest blessings, but they can't receive them because there's somebody that they just, for some reason, are jealous of or don't like. And uh, it holds back the blessings. Whether it's someone who offended you, whether it's someone who you think was supposed to do something that didn't, whether it's someone uh, you think they rebelled, or maybe they did. It doesn't matter. You don't want to be a Mordecai. Right. Uh, it can be difficult. But you I'm don't want to be a Haman. And you don't want to be a Haman. That's what I meant to say. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but it's, it's that ad- everything comes down to attitude in the end. It does. And so... Here it is, all this avails me as long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. So his wife, his wife and all his friends said to him, let a gallow be made of 50 cubits high. And in the morning, suggest the king, uh, to the king that Mordecai be hanged on it and then go merrily, uh, merrily with the king to the banquet. And the, the thing pleased Haman, and so he, he had the, the gallows made. Well, you know, there was, uh, you know, she had this banquet. And then Mordecai, this is the second day. He's invited to come back the second day. But I just wonder what she put in that meal. Because the king couldn't sleep. And uh, in chapter 6, it says, At night the king could not sleep. So one of his commands to bring the book of the records of, of the Chronicles, and they were read before the king. And it was found written that Mordecai, now remember how we started this over in chapter 2, that it was found written that Mordecai had told uh, of the two men, of the king's eunuchs, the doorkeepers, who had sought to lay hands on the king. And uh, so the king said, what honor or dignity has been bestowed upon Mordecai for this? And the king's servants who attended him said, nothing has been done for him. So the king said, who's in the court? He hears a noise. He, you know, another thing about Purim, I can just see the because this is a good play. And they act out plays like this. And so they make these these gestures, and uh, they have this noise, and the king said, who's in the court? And now, of course, his wife had done told him, go early. Get over the first thing. So here it is, daylight, you know, just coming up. 
And the king said, who's in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer courts of the king's palace to, to suggest that the king hang Mordecai on the gallows that had been prepared for him. And the king's servant said to him, Haman is here standing in the court. And the king said, let him come in. So Haman came in and the king asked him. So now he's asking Haman a question. What shall be done for the man whom the king delights to honor? You know, sometimes we can be so puffed up in pride. It's all about us. So all, you know, so Haman thought in his heart, whom would the king delight to honor more than me? Who would he delight more than me? And Haman answered the king, for the man who the king delights to honor, let a royal robe be brought with uh, which the king has worn and a horse on which the king has ridden, which his royal crest plate is on its head. Then let the robe and the horse be delivered to the hand of one of the king's most noble princes. Now, who was the king's most noble prince? Haman. He just got honored. Mm -hmm. He got elevated to that position. So he now he's speaking of himself, not realizing it. Mm -hmm. He says uh, to the most noble prince, that he may array the man whom the king delights to honor and then parade him on horseback through the city square and proclaim before him. Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. And the king said to Haman, Hurry, take the robe and the horse as you have suggested, and do so for Mordecai the Jew who sits within the king's gate. Wow. Leave nothing that you said undone. Do it all. I mean, put it out there. And what went through Haman's mind right there? You can only imagine. It's just utter backfire. You know, it, the the greatest backfire could have possibly happened. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I love this story. I love reading this uh, because, you know, I like the little guy to win. <laughs> you know, the underdog, I like the underdogs to win. And uh, so this is what's, what's happened. So Haman has to put Mordecai on the king's horse, the king's robe, and he prays him all through everything. And, you know, it, it's just a, a humiliating day. And so then, so he, but he, he hurried back to, after Mordecai went back to the king's gate, after all of this was done, but Haman hurried to his house mourning with his head covered. I mean, he was, he was really having a bad day at this moment. Uh, so when Haman told his wife uh, and all of her, her, his friends, everything that had happened to him, the wise men and, the, and his wife said to him, if Mordecai, before whom you have began to fall, is of the Jewish descent, you will not prevail against him, but will surely fall before him. So now what they were telling him to do, now they're... they're they're telling Haman, you're doomed. Mm -hmm. They're prophesying. They're, they're prophesying to him that he's doomed. And while they were still talking, the king's eunuchs came and hastened to bring Haman to the banquet. There's the second banquet. So we get to the second banquet and uh, uh, in chapter 7. And so the king asked Esther, uh, you know, he says... Um, 
on the second bank, the king said to Esther, what is your petition? And it shall be granted to you. And what is your request? Up to half of the kingdom, and it shall be done. Verse 3, the queen Esther answered and said, if I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it pleases the king, let my, let my life be given me and my petition and my people at my request. So, here he is. She's asked for this thing. Haman is probably trying to figure out what he's going to say next uh, because he, uh, he has to see what's coming right here. And verse 4, For we have been sold, my people, I, to be destroyed uh, and to be killed and to be annihilated. Had we been sold as male or female slaves, I would have held my tongue. Although the enemy could never compensate for the king's loss. So she's even bringing out a economical thing here. Mm -hmm. If the Jews are eliminated, if they're annihilated off the face of the earth, the king is going to, he, he can't compensate for that. He cannot recover. He's at a big, big loss here. Mm -hmm. And so she was, she was using wisdom here. And the king, he answered and said to Queen Esther, who is he? And where is he who would dare presume in his heart to do such a thing? And Esther said, the adversary and the enemy is this wicked Haman. And, you know, it says Haman was terrified before the king and queen. Well, the king, he rose in, in such a, a wrath from the banquet, uh, uh, and he went out into the palace garden. He just took off. He went out. Well, what did Haman do? He begged. He begged. But you know, he made a mistake. He jumped on that couch where, mm. where Esther, Queen Esther was sitting. And so when the king come back and he sees Haman on that couch with this, now he's thinking he's even going to molest my own wife right here in my palace. And that's what, what he's, he's thinking. Uh, so... Uh, he asked him, will you assault the, qu the queen while I'm in the house? As the, wo the word left the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. And uh, so they, they, they took Haman out. Uh, now, one of the, of the eunuchs said to the king, look, the gallows, 50 cubits high, which Haman made for Mordecai, who spoke good on the king's behalf. This eunuch was covering him, too. This guy spoke good on, on your behalf. Is <laughs> it, standing at the house of Haman. Then the king said, hang him on it. So they, they hanged Haman on the gallows that was preferred for Mordecai. So the, the story. The story is that Queen Esther saved the Jews. Uh, Mordecai was you know, behind her, prompting her. And so she, uh, she did what's a uh, big thing. So, uh, you know, uh, and they, so they celebrate Purim. And so t tomorrow or, t or yesterday was the day of fasting. And then today is the day of celebration. And they celebrate. One of the things that they celebrate with is a cookie. And, uh, this, uh, I'll have to let you uh, do the the reading of all of this. Uh, 
this particular cookie, uh, ever how that comes across. And the reason it's in uh, Hebrew, because I bought these while we were in uh, Israel just two weeks ago. But it's not important whether or not we can figure out the name of them. They have a nickname. Well, it is English uh, and their word for cookie, but there's no vowel points in here, so I can't get this exactly right. But uh, it is English cake. An English cake. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, they, they say it's a, that Jews eat a fruit-filled butter cookie. So that's what these are. These are some butter cookies. These have chocolate in them, and these have nuts in it, fruits and nuts. And uh, they're, uh, here, they're called, here's this big word right here. What's that? That Haman-Toshin. Haman-Toshins, which is a triangular-shaped cookie. You can see the triangular shape of this cookie. And uh, they... Uh, they signify Haman's hat. Uh, so that's kind of the shape of the hat that Haman wore, because that's what they signify. But they, they have a nickname, and that's what intrigued me. They have a nickname, and they're called Haman's Ears. And uh, I can imagine when Haman, those words came out, that it is this wicked adversary, Haman. Those, his ears burnt that all oh, they had to have burnt. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I don't know if that's prompted uh, into the cookie. And I've had one of these. So I'm going to try a bite of one of these cookies. Now, I've got my water real close. You <laughs> might get your drink, Sean, as you try that. But uh, on this joyful uh, Purim day, celebrate uh, the, with the Jews, and we're going to celebrate by eating one of these cookies. Let's give it a try. Not a bad cookie. For Haman's ear, it's not bad. For a Haman's ear. Uh, it's not oversweet. No. Uh, but it's you taste the butter flavor, the butter cookie. The chocolate. I tried this one the other day. I think the chocolate one's better. But uh, these are Haman's ears, and it's a it's a joyful day, and it is one of the most it is one of the most celebrated days. So Purim, Purim is a uh, Jewish folks, and I've had uh, have preached at certain congregations, which and the one I had uh, preached in, in uh, Florida at. Pastor Billy Thompson's church, and I was preaching from the book of Esther. And one of the ladies came, and she was a Jewish lady, and she just said that how she loves to hear the story of Haman because it just makes her feel good inside. And it makes you feel good when you get to victory. And so Esther uh, got to victory. Anyone, when you're looking at it, you know, Haman was hanged, his 10. Parts of his family and the other members were hanged along with him. And when you look at that and you go back to the uh, Nuremberg Accords, uh, if you fast forward all to that, uh, it, it talks about uh, uh, they, the Jews will talk about Amalek and the mm-hmm. spirit of Amalek. Mm-hmm. You know, th- these demonic things, 
you know, they'll try to influence people. So when they talk about the Nuremberg Accords and they hung 10 of the top Nazi officials on that as well. And everybody, the Jews always read this on the time of Esther when you're going through this as a comparison because they relate them to that. So it's just another thing to look at. But there was 10 of those Nazis hanged. They had that spirit of Amalek. Mm-hmm. And, you know, generation to generation. So there's always someone trying to destroy the Jews in that spirit and that kind of demonic influence. And uh, again and again and again, the Jews end up eating Haman's ear yeah. and getting the victory. So You know, uh, in this story, I love the fact that, you know, just like you, we, we talk of Abraham's faith. And uh, we want to we wanna be people of faith. And so many others in the Bible, we don't notice their faith. But Mordecai had faith. Mm-hmm. And he, he knew. He knew God. You know, it, in Daniel 11.32, the second part of that verse, it says, Those who know their God shall be strong and do great exploits. And, uh, you know, we want you to know God. That's why we do what we do. Absolutely. We teach what we teach so that you can know God. Because if you'll know God, you'll know that God is going to come through for you, for his beloved, and that you will do great exploits for knowing God. So, Sean, until... So we'll have uh, our next parasha here in a few days, Mm -hmm. and it'll actually correlate with this quite nicely. And then uh, we'll we'll see you then. See you then. God bless and know that God is great. God bless.